Well, hello everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is your Rattlecast for Thursday, or Tuesday, August sixth. Uh, today we have the great pleasure of having uh, Lynn Thompson with us. Uh, Lynn Thompson is the author of this new book, Fretwork, which we're going to be talking about and reading from. Um, but before we start, I wanted to say to everybody, thank you so much for last week's show. It was really fun. Thanks to everybody who called in. If you'd like to call in and read at the open mic at the end of the show, um, all you have to do is have Skype on your device. So whether it's your phone or your uh, tablet or a computer, um, it works with iOS, uh, with Android, with with uh, Apple and, and PC. Um, it's free. So all you have to do is get Skype on and then text a message in the chat window to live colon rattle poetry. And when you do that, you will, um, you will, uh, send me a text message and I will call you back at the end of the show. Um, and that's how we'll do the open mic. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it worked really well last time. We'll go for probably the whole show is going to go for about maybe an hour and a half. Uh, maybe we'll go up to two hours and then cut it off. So if, um, We'll try to get as many people in as we can, and if you don't go in this week, you can go in next week. Um, yeah, so so today we have a special guest, Lynn Knight. I mean, Lynn Thompson. I knew I was going to do that. Um, uh, so Lynn Thompson's been publishing in Rattle for a very long time, and um, she has this new book out, her third uh, full-length book of poetry called Fretwork. I'm going to read her bio here in the back. Lynn Thompson is the author of three chapbooks and the poetry collection Start With a Small Guitar and Beg No Pardon, winner of the Perugia Press Book Award and the Great Lakes College Association's New Writers Award. Thompson was born in Los Angeles, California, and received a BA from Scripps College and a JD from Southern Southwestern Law School. And this book, Fretwork, was the winner of the um, Marshhawk Poetry Prize, selected by... Uh, Jane Hirschfield is the winner in 2018, so it's just come out now. And it's a beautiful book all the way through. Um, and maybe we should start by reading, let me read one of the blurbs just to give you an idea of what we're in for here. This is Patricia Smith's blurb in the front. In keen stanzas, alternately humorous and heart-wrenching, Lynn Thompson takes the notion of family with its abrupt abandonment, shifting borders, and mawkish loyalties and stamps it with an unrelenting signature siphoned of any predictable sentiment or syrupy intention. Instead, fretwork is a masterful take on poetry as memoir, an intrepid exploration of a woman's tough but tenuous root in the world, and how love, with its elusive definitions, taught her how to hold on, and, more importantly, when to let go. And that's what Patricia Smith said about this book, Fretwork. Um, And so here, let's bring in uh, Lynn Thompson. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Tim. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Me. Thanks so much for being here. Um, so, so today, um, Toni Morrison died, if, if people haven't heard. And we wanted to start out by saying something about that. I remember, um, gosh, I just love Toni Morrison's books uh, back in college. I remember I used to go to the stacks back when I had time to read and read about two books a week. And um, one of them was Jazz. I picked that up and I just loved it. And I devoured every, every one of her other books. But Jazz in particular is like poetry in a novel form with its spontaneous improvisation and all that stuff. I, so, um, so, yes, you wanted to say something about, about Tony? I did. I, you know, when I woke up this morning know, hearing the news and knowing that we were going to have this interview this afternoon, I just felt like we shouldn't be talking about anybody but Toni Morrison She was a giant among American writers in the 20th and 21st centuries. 
um, influenced so many writers, particularly African-American writers, but I think writers all over the world were taken with her stories and the gifts that she gave us. Um, so I felt a little uh, like this isn't a day for me. This is a day to talk all about her. Um, and so I did find a, a, just a brief piece of hers that I wanted to read for your audience that really resonated with me and I think will resonate with uh, um, those who loved her, her work, who are writers and readers. This piece is from her essay, The Sight of Memory. You know, they straightened out the Mississippi River in places to make room for houses and livable acreage. Occasionally, the river floods these places. Floods is the word they use, but in fact, it is not flooding. It is remembering, remembering where it used to be. All water has a perfect memory and is forever trying to get back to where it was. Writers are like that, remembering where we were, that valley we ran through, what the banks were like, the light that was there and the route back to our original place. It is emotional memory, what the nerves and the skin remember as well as how it appeared. And a rush of imagination is our flooding. So I just thought that is exactly right. That's what I and so many other writers are trying to do with our work is to is to capture something that might otherwise be mm -hmm. lost. So I wanted to to share that in tribute to Toni Morrison. May she rest in peace. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thanks, Lynn. Um, so so let's talk about your book now. Um, Fretwork. Okay. Fretwork is about um, it's sort of a, a family history in poems um, and. Um, I don't know, tell us a little bit about, about what it's about. I know you were adopted and that's the main theme. I yeah. was adopted. So this, this is, this book, uh, puts together two themes that are constant in my life and that I don't seem to be able to stop writing about. One of them is my parents' immigration, um, from the West Indies in the early part of the 20th century, my adoptive parents. And the other is, uh, my adoption. Um, so some of the poems in the book concern my birth mother and birth father and just some feelings and thoughts that I had about the adoption. And, and the story hopefully is blended for the reader um, because they're not two separate stories. They're one story tracks to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a great um, – there's a really good arc in the book too. Um, you know, I felt the first poem um, – you have a few books uh, poems called Compositions – and um, in the yes. first one, you talk about, um, you know, you sort of tell yourself to compose the dark. And I feel like a lot of the, what the book's right. doing is composing the dark or attempting to. Um, and there's a real sense of, um, of just arc of not knowing how much you know and what's dark and what's mythology and what, you know, what you're imagining. And I feel like it culminated in the poem Chord toward the end, um, which I just loved. It's sort of a, a heart-stopping poem. And it, it was really at the perfect place. So it's really a beautiful book that, that arcs really well, too. Um, well, thank you. There, I, I owe that to many people. Arc is always an issue for me, so I have to to credit Susan Terrace and others who were really helpful mm -hmm. in getting me to that arc. Well, it's really well done. It's a book that feels like a whole book and not like a collection of poems. It definitely has uh, a lot to offer. Um, 
have you read some from it in a minute. But first, I wanted to say, if anybody has any questions for Lynn Thompson, I'm going to actually be monitoring the the live chat this time. I have a separate computer, so we won't be wasting bandwidth with another window open. And uh, so if you have any questions uh, for Lynn, just let me know in the live chat, and I will try to ask her. But but for now, why don't we hear some poems, Lynn? Um, uh, I'm going to start with Genesis, which is at page 10 of the book, if anyone is following along. And the only thing that you need to know about this poem, it is a high bun. Thank you, Jim Natal, who taught me about the high bun. And the second and third parts of it are in the voice of my father. Genesis 1. On 27 March 1899, Dora rose from her pallet, came to squat, and my father flopped out like a fish. One month later, American Negroes fasted in protest of the lynch laws, but Daddy, born to got nothing in a British colony, took off nonetheless and despite everything. All gurgle and shit, a wheel turning, his eyes fixed, history nascent. Two, I left that floating hotel, the Van Dyke, to arrive via Barbados on the Isle of Tears, June 1923, and I didn't care what. We'd heard the news back home about a black man, Sam Hose, lynched for killing his Georgia white employer. Hose was burned alive, knuckles put up for sale, and that'll teach him, at the local grocer's. But I came anyway. The journey of not knowing isn't bitter or a sweet seed, just chance. I came for four years to earn money teaching grammar and numerals the way I taught grammar and numerals to youngsters back home, knowing few black boys in the States without school, not knowing if any school would hire me. The twins color and cry, steal each other's breath, yet they grow under heaven. I came despite the rebellions, the Robert Charles riots, 1900, 28 dead, the Wilmington insurrection, no official death count, Springfield, 1908, Houston, 1917, District of Columbia, 1919, and all the unnamed revolutions every year since and in between. Time's a magician, sleight of hand and a white mask. Black fingers, unbound. Three, when I said, I will come back, Dora shook her head and sobbed. I came anyway. That's Genesis. Do you want me to keep going, Tim? Um, yeah, please do. I know it's a little strange because there's no like applause or... or... You know. Well, not applause, and I'm not <laughs> sure if you're going to ask me something. So I'll, I'll read till you tell me Yeah, to Yeah, stop. just read a few, and uh, I'll, I'll jump in after maybe, I don't know, a few more minutes, you know, a few more poems. Okay, um, okay. But, yeah, it's a little okay. strange reading, uh, um, you know, live, but there are a bunch of people watching right now live around the world, and they're clapping at home. Um, oh, that's good to know. Thank <laughs> um, you. One thing. <laughs> I appreciate uh, let me it. ahead of time the, the poem's title, and I'll try to find it for the, um, for the sure. document too. Right. This next one that I'm going to read is Bout for Jack and a West Indian Immigrant at page 13. The year mother arrived on Ellis Island, 
the heavyweight fighter Jack Johnson began serving a one-year sentence in Leavenworth for violating the Mann Act. But everybody knew. Jack was doing time for loving a whole lot of white women and each and every one of them every which way. Mother, fresh from hibiscus in the Caribbean Sea, knew nothing of it. Didn't know that some who thought, if you're light, well, all right, would look at her and wonder, is she a white girl? I never asked about color when I could have. Never thought of the past as prologue because in the civil rights free sex 60s, black was a beauty. And I didn't want to think about the pale man who had bedded my granny, that my own mother was gray pearl, chipped tooth, the other white meat. This next one is entitled Intermixed at page 17. Although he chose to lie with another and turned absent father because of it, daddy hitched his fate to mother. Mother was fair in complexion, one clue being her name, cobbled together from low German, middle Dutch, some old English, Hessel, Hassel, Hazel, Hazel. But even that hegemony didn't deter him. Proud as he was of his Ebo, proud he faced windward after the bite of Biafra, bite of Bonnie, pleased to feed his family cassava and taro root. In a time when many thought he would not have been, he was learned. When he looked at her, when she spoke her name, he might have thought, let the angler fit himself with a hazel of one piece or two, set conveniently together. Cox, 1677, or The Note of Hassel Springeth, Hazlitt, 1864. He might have thought of her as his hazel wand or hazel hooped or a dervish of hazel wizard, healing his scarifications, her body fully salt fish and chickpea. What he thought is lost to time, but never can be. He anointed himself with oil of hazel. See his children sitting, as Virgil said, beneath the grateful shade which hazels intermixed with elms have made. And I'm going to read the next one, Carnival. As I said at the beginning, this is a book both about my my birth mother as well as my adopted family. And this one is for my birth mother, Beverly. Carnival. One, forget the birth thing. Forget about her. She was a beauty or she wasn't. She spoke softly or laughed like a man who slugs five fingers of whiskey every day. She loved a carnival, but only when it came to town. She had a hunger for the short, short story and asked for everything that happened, then put it behind her as soon as. Forget this irrelevant history. Can anyone know what is true? Two. Forget the planet is spinning so hard you can't call it anything but memory. You've already forgotten first memories, how they half skip, won't speak. And you've already forgotten your father. Maybe he was a rogue or believed in holy, holy, but no matter. 
every day he was, he wasn't. A blessing. Three, forget you slipped beyond your mother's wide hips after waiting to forget. The hugger-mugger of the coming through. The sisters forgetting to cross their foreheads. Forget the insignificant chance. The burr. Be of rare chair and don't be fooled. The carnival lasts only minutes. Don't forget your mask. Um, and then I'll move to this one, Emma Gray, that's at page 32. Um, those of you who are from the Southern California, particularly Los Angeles area, may recognize some of the references. Emma Gray. Maybe it was reflex. Maybe it was memory and want. Want for the scent of soursop and sugar apples. Memory of the flight of a frigate bird that made us drive every Sunday down Vine Street, past Forest Lawn Cemetery, to Griffith Park, where Daddy, nutmeg-colored and clad head-to-toe in his all-whites, came to play cricket and make believe he was home in Bucamont Valley, St. Vincent, West Indies, where he could be the man home would have made of him, although none of that meant one EC dollar to me because in those days, cricket, with its ball of string and hard cork, wooden stumps and willow-carved blades turned into bats was an odd British formality. A long ago, when ladies wore pale hose and organdy hats, and I was allowed to wear my Sunday finery, as long as I didn't grass-stain my not-for-school skirt, drink tea in royal crown cups, and wolf down cucumber and cream cheese sandwiches those old-world women made for their men to devour during the break in the game, which might last for a leisurely hour or more, before the teams would take up again in a throw of fear because Daddy was the game's best bowler, and with his elbow cocked and a lightning rotation of his arm, he threw googlies leg breaks, and flippers, always got his man and took the wicket because Daddy could bring the heat, although he never would have said bring the heat, because his home rule kind of schooling favored the king's English over the colloquial. But it was exactly this heat-bringing and resplendent use of language that made him the kind of man to be reckoned with, and I worked hard to grasp it. That was great. Thanks, Lynn. Um, Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about, about poetry itself and how you got into poetry. Um, so I think you're, you're a lawyer, right? You were in our lawyer, lawyer poets issue um, back in issue number 23. Um, that's correct. A, I'm a recovering a attorney. A recovering attorney. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask. Are you still practicing? <laughs> you're, you're not? You're a full-time writer now? I am yeah. not. I am not. I'm leaving that to uh, others. Um, so, so what made you start writing? How come, you know, how did you get into poetry? Um, the, my father, who I just read about was a closet poet. Mm -hmm. He loved writing poet. My mother was less, uh, impressed with the endeavor, wasn't much of a moneymaker and therefore she didn't have a lot of time for mm -hmm. it. Um, but he loved poetry. He read poetry to me. Um, Langston Hughes, whoever was popular during the day, he read those poems, um, and stressed the importance of language and words. We loved playing word games together. 
Um, I'm proud to say that once in my life I beat him at Scrabble. <laughs> I think he cheated, but in any event, I beat him once. Um, but he gave me a love of language. So I started scribbling as a 10-year-old. Um, and continued on until I went to law school, which stopped me cold in my tracks in terms of poetry. But after I'd been practicing for a while, it, it came back. I, I missed it. I really felt like that, that interest and, and need to have language be an important part of my life in that way as opposed to a legal mm -hmm. way was important. So I came back to yeah, it. Well, I'm really glad you did because you have a bunch of great books of poems. Thank you. Um, um, I've, I've been, I think our... our um, your first book, Beg No Pardon, I think came out the same year as mine. So I've kind of been, you know, we were doing some readings together back then. And, um, yeah, Absolutely. and I've been following you since then. And you've just had, you know, three straight really great books. So um, I'm glad Thank you got you. back into Thank poetry. Thank you so much. Um, so, so what does poetry mean to you? Um, you know, why do, why do we do it? That's the thing that I'm kind of, because I don't really understand why I, I do it. Like, why am I so drawn to it? So why are you so drawn to it? I'm always curious what people say to me. I, I think it's a way of, on the one hand, trying to find answers to questions that perhaps don't have any answers. What does life mean? What does death mean? Why, why do we treat one another the way we treat one another, from the good to the very, very bad? Um, and... In, in many ways, for me, it's the magic of the making of the poem. You know, it's, it's uh, I think it was, well, I'm not going to say who, because maybe I'll say the wrong person, but I know there's a poet that says the, wrong, the right words in the right order. How do, you, how do you convey this? And I think that language is the thing that people go to when they're most happy and when they're most aggrieved. Um, I remember when 9-11 occurred, People wanted the poets because they didn't know how to talk about what was happening. Mm -hmm. They want the poets now with the events of, of the last weekend. Um, but they also want them when they're happy, when their children are born, or when they get married, or when someone graduates. So um, I think it's a place that people find comfort because it is a mystery. Nobody quite can grasp the why mm -hmm. of it, and maybe that's why it's so yeah, wonderful. I, I agree. Um, do you want to read some more poems from the book or would you like to read some newer stuff or stuff from other books? Um, you know, I had some poems marked, but I think since you said you liked chords so much, maybe I'll read that. And then I'll read a couple of, of newer pieces that have been published in magazines re recently. That'd be great. Yeah, we'd love that. So this one chord um, was for my birth mother um, who passed away in 2004. Chord. And if anyone wants to follow it, it's at page 90. One. She didn't ask for me when she saw all of it ending. So I don't know how she went out. Whether she wept or sang, precious Lord, or I wish I knew, she didn't ask for me. Perhaps she asked for nothing. Nothing being what she once chose. I don't know how she went out, whether dreaming of my father or of the revulsion she had for her own, she didn't ask for me. She could have left one suggestion. She didn't, and maybe she died hard. I don't know how she went out. Whether dreaming of me or furious, she was at the end of dreaming and left with one last choice, not to ask. 
I don't know how she went out. And two, I must tell you this. I did not go to her before her breathing became shallow, so she never knew what I've become. That, as another's daughter, I did long. Still, dressed in apologies and alibis, I did not go to her. My feet stuck in the sludge of my other mother's don't do this to me. She never knew what I've become. She never knew, and no one's to blame. Why can't every choice be just a choice? Because I didn't go to her, and why not? Continually, and even then, I didn't. What is that? Even I don't know if I've become a liar, always fire in the grate, or someone else's reason to be grateful, but that's not good enough. I did not go to her. Anyone can see what I've become. So that, uh, that was a hard poem to write, but I think one that I just felt like I, I had mm-hmm. to write. Um, so um, I'm going to read a couple of poems uh, that have been published this year. Um, this first one in the New England Review. I've been doing a lot of poems of homage. Um, some of them, as in this one I'm going to read, are in the form of a cento, which is a poem that takes lines of another poet or group of poets and reorganizes them and recombines them to come up with a completely new poem. This one's called... Langston won't stay in his grave. Calls me rose of neon darkness. Calls himself early blue evening. Black smoke of sound. Says, we are related, you and I. Reminds me that we are wandering in the dusk. Our faces a chocolate bar. Facing the night of two moons. And though I'm a lonely little question mark, he laughs. Life is for the living with gypsies and sailors. Till the old junk man death plants your toes in the cool swamp mud, shake your brown feet, honey. Wander through this living world. Get out the lunchbox of your dreams. Stay awake all night with loving or be a woman in the doorway. Death don't ring no doorbells or say, Here is that sleeping place as if it were some noble thing. Think how thin and sharp the moon is tonight. Don't mind dying, veiling what darkness hides. Haunt like mystery, like a naked bone in gumbo. So that's my Langston Hughes homage. And this one just came out in um, the Colorado Review, much thanks to them, um, called Song for Africa, Leonard Cohen Never Knew He Started. And the poem begins with an epigraph from a line of one of his songs, Dance Me Very Tenderly and Dance Me Very Long. Long as the river Mananara, long as the miles between the Malagasy, and the bondsmen of Kentucky. Long as memory. Long as the concussions of kidnap. Long as every equation plotting the distance between Earth and its backlash. Between sun and the bursting of hyacinth, daffodil, 
mustard seed. Seed most fruitless, carried across the sea, perhaps from Benin, once misprized as French Dahomey, and before that, when the land was confused with the dynasty of the Edo. Its people most majestic, most black and black and black, and its people are movement. See how they excite here and here. Secrets in our garden, stunning among the periwinkle, creeping myrtle, confederate jasmine, Floradora in spring and in summer when they are most Stephanatus floribunda, curling around and over and under. And did you ever see such movement? Long as the river Mananara, long as the miles between us and the Malagasy. Oh, Boogaraboo, dance me oh so tenderly and dance me very long. Um, do you um, want another? Well, let's talk a little bit about um, your writing process. Um, how do you how do you go about writing? Okay. A poem? I noticed there are a lot of poems that are in forms, um, like pantoums and things like that in your book. Um, yeah, how do you go about right. how do you go about writing? How do you approach a poem? How do you approach the the blank page? Um, every time seems to be different, so I, I don't seem to have much of a pattern to it. The form. I have to say I started doing a lot of within the last five years, I'd say, because when I first started to write seriously, um, I, I went in fear of form. And primarily it was because I was being too lazy to work at it. I'll be honest about that. Um, and I was scared. I just didn't think I could do it until I realized, Lynn, this is ridiculous. You're going to call yourself a writer. You've got to try to do this. So then I started writing a lot of things in form, in form villanelles. Uh, I finally tackled a Sistina. Um, one day I'll do the double Sistina that, I, that I'm um, hoping to do. Um, the guzzle, all those different forms. But for me, a lot of times um, my poems will begin in something I hear or I sm uh, smell or I see. Um, and I'll want to transcribe that. Um, uh, an idea that someone has a bit of overheard conversation, something funny on the back of a cereal box. Those kind of things really kind mm -hmm. of get me going. Um, if if I'm not working like with the book on a specific idea that I'm trying to accomplish, I really enjoy coming into it from a surprising place um, so that I'll be surprised and the reader will mm -hmm. be hopefully pleasantly do you, do you surprised find, I had as a well. discussion uh, with somebody on one of our Facebook groups earlier yesterday, I think it was, about um, finding surprise in poems um, and how, you know, that there's the old uh, Robert yes. Frost quote, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. Um, do you think you find surprise in the process? Of, I, I was saying in this, uh, in this comment that um, I think some people find the surprise before they actually write, like they sort of find the surprise in their head. Some people find it while they're writing and some people find it right. in vision. Where would you uh, say you find the surprise? Um, I would say probably mostly in the in the writing, sometimes in the revision. Um, but I, what I find if, if I say I'm going to write about the lovely spring day and I'm going along doing my thing and something occurs to me and the poem takes a turn mm -hmm. I hadn't anticipated that that's a gift. I love when that happens because you 
you get out of your own way in a, in a way and let the poem tell you what it's trying to talk about. You may have thought, oh, I want to write about this painting hanging on the wall. And yes, you wanted to write about that, but there was something else going on. And the, the key, I think, is to let yourself go down that path that you hadn't planned mm-hmm. and see what's at the end of it, if there is an end of it. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. there's not an end of it. Um, do you want to read a couple more? Um, sure. I'll read another one from the Colorado Review and then maybe um, one or two more. Okay, from, uh, before uh, we start, let me just work. say one more time, if anybody would like to do the open mic later, um, just send a text message to me at uh, Tim, or no, at Live Rattle Poetry on uh, Skype. And if you send me a chat message, I will call you back. So far, nobody's, call, nobody's uh, sent me a message yet, so I'm not sure if anybody wants to read. We'll have to see. I don't know. We'll Nobody see. wants uh, to last, read today. Last week I kind of pre-set up some a bunch we'll of people see. to make sure we had some. And this week I didn't. I thought ah, it would kind of take care of itself. So right. uh, we'll see if it does or not. But uh, if you... Well, the, the it, Skype it definitely can be a little can, daunting. Yeah, yeah. So, but one of the things we want to do is, is teach poets how to use this kind of technology because it's really the future of, of a lot of things, including poetry, I think. So... Um, so yeah, be brave and uh, chat and uh, send me a message if you'd like to read after Lynn's done. Uh, but here's another poem or two maybe from Lynn Thompson. Actually, I think I'll, I'll, I'll read uh, two okay, from great. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Fretwork. Uh, these are the last two in the book. The Mollusk Museum. One. Family is and is not a velveteen pillow. Theater. A dinner hour mistake with candied yams on the side. Cemetery. Two moon pies for gypsy. Greedy art and dirigible need. Rushes and reeds. Tracing paper on papyrus. The solo. The ensemble. Wood ticks. Wax moths. Hand drum thrum thrumming the hand. A river, a poplar, the same old questions. Three, war. I come to struggle, to eat the edges of, to abrade the chemical and the all chemical in the falling night. Always a souvenir wrapped in a rigmarole. Vivaldi versus Jay-Z. I'm wrapped in biblical passages, but never in any book of Revelations or Koran or Green Hornet. All is taboo. Every day is like any other habit. A telegram never opened. I liked, I wanted to read that poem because I, I love that I could get Jay-Z in there. doesn't happen very often. And the last poem in the book, Who Giveth This Girl? has an epigraph by the novelist Margot Jefferson. What has made and maimed me? She took the name Toy Cow. She was aware of her milk. Renaming is greater than privilege. At play equal, equals desire, even when, day after year, she took the name she was given, shredded it, ate most, Sent the rest to church where the nuns are a little ballsy. What's in a name is a confoundment. Is alkaline. Is sky torn down like wallpaper. Who 
Who giveth this name in wedded agony? Sticks and claims do not honor thy father, so Choi Cow is the name she took. The boys called her, the girls called her. When she began, she began to call herself. That's a beautiful poem. Thanks so much, Lynn. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Thank you my, so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having us, uh, for, for joining us today. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, you're one of our uh, test subjects because we haven't been doing this for very long, but there's going to be the archive for a very long time up on YouTube, and we'll have all these videos, and we'll have you know more watches throughout the year. Um, so if anybody wants to buy uh, Lynn Thompson's Wonderful. book, you can pick it up at Amazon or um, Small Press Distribution. Again, it's from uh, Marshawk Press. And um, $15, I think, is the cover price. Yeah, $15. And it's just a beautiful book. And beautiful cover art, too. Um, Thank you. Oh, let me give a shout-out to the cover artist, um, Allison mm-hmm. Saar. She's a local artist here in Los Angeles, internationally known, a wonderful artist. And uh, she and I went to the same college, mm-hmm. um, although a few years apart. She's younger than I am. Um, but I had told her the next time I had a book, I really wanted a piece of hers for the cover, and she was just so generous in letting me use this. So yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, one thing I did want to ask you, but I forgot to the, the title "Fretwork." Um, that's the that's refers to the yes. um, Caribbean, um, the ornate artwork on the in the architecture of around houses and things like that. And I I looked it, some up, and oh my correct. gosh, it's beautiful. Um, and really, really They're complicated. Beautiful. I had, I, yeah. I imagined what it would be and then I looked it up and it was much more than I imagined. It was amazing. Um, it's, it's very intricate and I loved that it, the title was doing mm-hmm. double work of fret work and then also referring to this very ornate architectural style in the islands. Yeah. Yeah. That my yeah the title itself from. too. I mean, you know, the work of fretting too and, and you know, in weaving back memory and, and others. It's a beautiful title and a beautiful book. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah, so well, much. Thanks so much. Um, Glad you enjoyed it. I'm not it. sure. We still don't have anybody who um, who wants to take a call. So I guess that'll be it for the show. I'll say a goodbye to you, Lynn. Um, and we'll we'll have to talk soon. Really, really uh, appreciate this. Uh, it'll be archived for a long time. So uh, people will be able to enjoy it in the future. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having too. me. Appreciate it. Have a good Bye. evening. Bye. So once again, uh, if anybody would like to call in, I still don't have any uh, any takers on the open mic, so maybe that'll be it for today, which is fine by me. This is a very casual kind of hanging out with a poet every week, so if we don't have an open mic, that's fine too. Um, I'll give it maybe a, maybe a minute, but once again, this was Lynn Knight. We were talking about her book, uh, Fretwork, which was the... Winner of the 1998 Marsh Hawk Poetry Prize, selected by Jane Hirschfield. Um, you can check it out where all fine books are sold. Um, and I guess that's all for today. So let's look up uh, later this week a special reading on Saturday, August 10th. We're going to have a tribute to David Berman with the uh, Powwow River Poets. Uh, David Berman had two poems in Rattle Number 62, and then a poem written by um, uh, Bruce Bennett in the summer issue. And Bruce Bennett wrote this entire book dedicated to his friend David Berman called First Reader, which you can see on your screen right now. Um, And 
We're going to join live with the Powwow River Poets group that meets um, every, I don't know if it's one Saturday a month or something like that, but they're going to have a meeting. And afterward, a bunch of the Powwow River Poets are going to join us talking about David Berman, reading his poems, um, including um, Rena Espayat, A.M. Jester, Alfred Nichol, um, and, and others too. So um, hope you guys tune in for that. That'll be live this Saturday, August 10th at... Uh, 1.30 p.m. Eastern. And then after that, next Tuesday, for our regular reading, we're going to have Elizabeth Wolf, author of Did You Know? Rattle's chapbook for um, the uh, 2018 Rattle Chapbook Prize. Uh, that was the book that came with everybody's summer issue. So she's going to join us and talk about her book and read some, some poetry. And hopefully we'll have some people on the open mic. Um, So yeah, that's it. Um, Hope you enjoyed this show, and I hope you have a great night. We'll, We'll see you later.